like someone who's good with children and plenty of parking and a nice nursery, those would be pluses as well. Rabbi shopping. At first, the people flocked to the new rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, but then something changes and they turn away. At the end of John chapter 6, this is what we read. Because of this, what Jesus has said to them, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. There are words that bring life, that give life, that make life worth living. Words like, the tumor is benign or you are forgiven, or yes, I love you too. John chapter 6 brings us to a moment about such words. It's a watershed chapter. Up until now, the crowds have been growing and growing, and in John chapter 6, there is a feeding of the 5,000. All kinds of excitement is building around this Jesus who turns water into wine, who heals the leper, who feeds the multitude with a child's brown bag lunch. John, the gospel writer, calls these signs, signposts. They're pointing to something. They're pointing to something deeper. As the crowd grows, so do their expectations for bigger, bolder, better gifts. It's like the Oprah show, and they can't wait to see what's under their seat and what the prize will be today. And then Jesus confronts them, saying, if you're here for the goodies, you're missing what is truly great. You are here because you had your stomach filled with bread. I tell you, there's something greater here than merely whole wheat. There's something bigger going on that even Moses, who gave you manna in the wilderness, you want to live another day. I want to offer you life that is deeper, wider, yes, even eternal. Devour me and find it. Feed on me, receive it. Believe me and believe in me, says Jesus. At which point the multitude says, no gifts today? Uh, we've got to be somewhere else. And Jesus gets discouraged. So much so that he turns to the inner circle, the ones called the twelve, and he says, you're going to leave as well? And sounds like he half expects it. Are you going to leave as well? My 40 years as an ordained minister, I've watched a lot of people leave. The Presbyterian Church in North America, as well as a whole lot of other congregations and 
denominations have seen a significant decline in numbers. And the reasons are many. Anyone who tells you there's only one reason all these people have left, the only thing they're telling you is the thing that bugs them the most. When they say, I know why all those people left, the next sentence is the thing that bugs them. It's because they play oboes and worship. That's why all those people left. It's because there are guitars in worship, or it's because they don't have guitars in worship. It's because the minister wears a tie. It's because he doesn't wear a tie. It's because of fill in the blank. What the literature and the research shows is, one, a whole lot of children we raised went out the door at 18 and never came back. Several generations went out the door at 18. They never came back. They stopped by for a wedding but they didn't stay. And then a different group, a whole lot of people who became empty nests and who got all those fine children raised themselves found other things to do with their weekends. And then a whole other group just got tired of the conflict. Not that they were for or against contemporary worship, for or against the new hymn book, for or against gay people. They were just tired of fighting at church. And so they stayed home. A few people changed locations, but not many. It's not that they went to another denomination, it's that they went out the back door and they just kept on going. We expended some, we asked too much of others, we did not ask enough of most, and they got bored and they left jazzing up the music, painting the Sunday school rooms a new color, changing the times of worship. These have not affected the decline in numbers in North America. Now, I know belonging to a church does not equal belonging to Jesus, but few leave in order to grow in faith. I expect that Jesus still gets discouraged today when people turn away and go on back home. Do you also wish to go away? asked Jesus. Good old Simon Peter steps up in our passage, and I think what follows in his words is both an expression of bewilderment and a statement of faith. I think Peter has both his doubts and his sense of who Jesus is. For doubt and faith are found in Peter over and over again as they are found in us. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where can we turn? There's plenty of confusion about staying with this Jesus. There are days when they are scratching their heads and don't know which way to turn. What on earth does he mean we're going to eat his flesh and drink his blood? He says in the middle of John 6, that's the point at which the crowd really decides they have somewhere else they need to be. What does he mean talking about a cross and sacrifice? What is this about love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? How can anybody forgive 70 times 7? And who can sell all they have in order to have treasure in heaven? Peter has his doubts. We have our doubts about the words of Jesus. Sometimes I get grilled 
when someone finds out I'm a pastor, a follower of Jesus. They ask me about the suffering in the world and why God doesn't do something about it. Or they ask about some awful tragedy like the shooting at the AME church in Charleston or the shooting at an elementary school in Sandy Hook, and they say, where was Jesus then? They point out that a whole lot of world religions say something good about the path to the divine. So what's up with this dude from Nazareth? They grill me. I don't have answers for all of this. In fact, I have a lot of the same questions. But what I tell them and what I cling to myself is this. I believe we get the clearest glimpse of the face of God in the face of Jesus. Jesus does not answer all my questions. But there is something here more real, more deep, more lasting, and I believe it is God's gift to us. Here is where I find my sustenance, my daily bread with a capital B, the words that guide life and give life. Lord, where else can we go? You have the words. Deep life, meaningful life, connected to the eternal life. Peter knows there is something here that he cannot find anywhere else. He knows there is something in this man that he cannot live without. He's not sure what Jesus is doing. And he's not sure always what Jesus is saying, but he knows he does not want to be anywhere else. These words give him life, which means sustenance and love and purpose and forgiveness and a whole lot more, so much more that it will take an eternity to grasp it. Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of life. And we want to hear them every day and always. We all have moments when words bring life. When something that is said to us changes our whole reality, our present and our future. Doors open, hearts open, the path becomes clear. This is God at work among us. In her memoir, The Whisper Test, Marianne Bird tells of the power of words in her own life. She was born with multiple birth defects, death in one ear, a cleft palate, a disfigured face, feet that were turned the wrong direction. And because of this, as a child and these physical impairments, she suffered from the teasing and the questions of other children. Hey, Mary Ann, what happened to your lip? Oh, I, I cut it on a piece of glass, she would lie. She says that one of her worst experiences at school was the day of the annual hearing test. Way back when, the hearing test was a whisper test. She was deaf in one ear. The whisper test was the teacher would call each child up one at a time, sit the child down at her desk, and then lean over and whisper something simple like, the sky is blue, or I have brown shoes. And the child would repeat, 
us praise and pass the test. Mary Ann only had one good ear, and she would be careful to turn that ear toward the teacher, for she was afraid of failing the test in front of the whole room, which is watching. One year she was in Miss Leonard's class. All the students adored Miss Leonard. Everybody wanted to be her favorite. And the day of the dreaded whisper test came. Mary Ann was called in turn up to the desk. She sat down. She turned her good ear toward the teacher. And Mary Ann writes, I waited for the words which God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life. Miss Leonard did not whisper the sky is blue or I have brown shoes. She leaned over and she whispered, I wish you were my little girl. Those words of life that day, the words that changed the course of Mary Ann's life, she went on to become a teacher herself. She grew up to be a person of inner beauty and of great kindness toward others. Lord, you have the words of life eternal. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Let the children come to me. This is what heaven is like. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Love one another as I have loved you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word to us endures forever. Lord, we don't want to go anywhere else. You have the word, are the word.